today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, Alyssa PR, uh, and she is with us now. Alyssa, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Scott, and I trust you are too. But I yeah, you know, what the heck? doing well. <laughs> What's that? I can tell you you're not doing very well today. Who is not doing well today? Well, I'll, this is my lob for a lead-in. I would say that Premier Doug Ford is not feeling too good today. Uh, so let's chat about this because we've been talking about this uh, all afternoon. Uh, latest Ipsos polls out, uh, and this is federally, saying the Liberals are now in majority territory. They've gone up uh, five points. The Conservatives up two, uh, NDP down. However, as what you're referring to, uh, another poll out saying Ontario's Doug Ford's getting hammered uh, in this, uh, obviously in due to the vaccine rollout. Uh, the Liberals have successfully managed to keep the narrative on the provinces uh, instead of themselves. How do you explain that? Well, listen, narrative control is one of the most difficult things to do, and but, you know, insofar as what their narrative is, is we're going to get vaccines in. We're going to get vaccines in, and then we're going to distribute them to the provinces. That's the narrative. They're not calling for nationwide lockdowns. They're not the ones who are delivering all the restrictions. It's the provinces are doing that. But why are the provinces doing that, Scott? Because healthcare is a provincial jurisdiction. So mm-hmm. you live by the sword and you die by the sword. And when it comes to, you know, for example, so when you, um, when Trudeau says, well, millions more vaccines are coming in. So he says that. And then the subsequent media narrative actually supports that as good news. So when we watch our 6 o'clock news or 11 p.m. news um, or listen to news on the hour uh, on the radio, what we continually hear is more vaccines are coming in. And then we get the pictures. So we see those vaccines actually coming in off the airplanes and ostensibly being distributed to the varying provinces. So it's a, it's a I, tell you, I told you story, and now I'm going to show you story. However... The provincial jurisdiction is a completely different story because they are the rollout. They're where the rubber hits the road, and therein lies the difference, Scott. Uh, you know, we had this uh, last week with the fridge conspiracy. You know, uh, apparently they're all sitting in Doug Ford's freezer because naturally a, a massive delivery came in uh, over the Easter weekend. But, uh, Alyssa, we have talked to supply management uh, professors, uh, we've had the mayor comment on this. We've had the, the head of our emergency table comment on this. Uh, and even today, I had the head of the pharmacy association. And he specifically said, the freezer thing is bunk. And anything that's in is is part of the booking system. It's part of, of completing the final chain of delivering this stuff. Yet that is constantly the message that we're hearing and and again you know it's it doesn't matter who i have on the the message just doesn't seem to resonate and then on the flip side of that i had a a doctor come on right after the holiday weekend and say you know i've just heard that there's a million and a half doses in the freezer and it's like well of course they are the delivery just arrived and they're spoken for and will be gone by the end of the week and there's somebody in uh, in a medic in the medical field high up saying this so how does this messaging how does the truth not come out here 
Well, I think that the whole problem at the very beginning of the, the pandemic, Scott, as you and I have discussed, is the communication. Lack of communication or interpretation of communication or the various channels they're using to get out the communication. So, you know, you have all these experts that are that you're interviewing and ostensibly they're all plugged into the same channels, but they all have different interpretations. And the reason they have different interpretations is because there is no one consistent message going out to all the stakeholder groups. And I think that one of the reasons is, and, and, the, and the poll showed that uh, Ontarians felt that Doug Ford was managing well, and he actually got a 78% approval rating in, let's say, the first term of yep. the pandemic, which I think was well-deserved. But, you know, as you know, he became, had to deal with uh, different lobby groups, at different interest groups, opening the economy, closing the economy, who decides who gets the, the, the vaccines first, um, and a lot of waffling and a lot of flip-flopping. So, you know, let's do it by age. No, now let's do it by um, by uh, uh, essential workers. So, and people are frustrated. And then the worst part is, Scott, the worst part, and I have to tell you, I mean, I'm not checking the numbers every day because, honestly, I'm normally a happy person. I like to keep it that way. But I did see those numbers <laughs> yesterday. Okay. Um, and what was it? 43.77, like the highest ever? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's not because you kept the hairdressers closed, Doug. <laughs> because they haven't yeah. been open at all. Um, and Ontarians are just feeling frustrated. They're feeling frustrated because we're in lockdown again, yet the numbers are going up. It's because, so what could it be? Well, they're going to jump to their own conclusion, Scott, and that's the danger of not controlling the narrative. When your receiving party or your intended end-user audience starts jumping to their own conclusions about why systems aren't working. But and here's the thing that I have a hard time with. It's like, you know, here we are uh, talking about, as you just brought up, who gets it next? Should we keep going down in age increments or should we take it and put it into certain targeted areas, which is the discussion we're having now? The other discussion is uh, the second dose, waiting four months up to four months for the second dose. These are all issues that are only compounded and are only made possible because we don't have enough supply. Yet, you know, the provinces are struggling. You can see the looks on their faces. And yet, if you tune the prime minister, it's all sunny ways. I don't get how people think that we, we, we would be having this debate about who should go first, who should go second. How long are we going to wait between doses? We don't have any of that discussion if there are, is plenty of vaccine coming in. So why is it? The public can't understand that. Because the public does see through their own, in my opinion, in my opinion, it's because the public does see through their own channels of information that vaccines are coming in. I can't tell you how many, you know, uh, texts I get. Oh, it's now low in York Region. It's 45 to 59. So come on and get your vaccine. Um, if you yeah, but have, who's actually getting one? I mean, I signed up. I'm still waiting for an appointment. So, and now that we're going all over the place, I think the age groups are slowing down. So, you know, how can anybody think in a country of 35 million people that a million doses coming in a week is going to cut it with a two, the two shot vaccine? Like, just do the math. Well, I think there's a number of other things compounding it. And, you know, Listen, I'm not providing excuses for any political leader. Let's just no. be really, really clear yep. about that. 
Um, when you have the national newscasters saying, and more vaccines are coming in and more jobs are have happening, that's what people hear. That's exactly what the liberals want you to hear. And they also want you to know that in your bank account, you're still going to get your, your, your subsidy of payments if you're eligible. So the Ontario government has, A, tried to uh, create a, an equitable distribution. They are trying to assuage Ontarians, especially business owners, with grants. Not that you don't have to pay back a grant. Let's, let's remember that, right? So if you get a business grant, it's, it's, you know, let's call it free money. Let's call it what it is. But I guess there's just a number of other different problems compounding the lack of consistency between jurisdictions. So in your region, schools were open up until last week, so now's the break. But in three other jurisdictions, schools were closed. Yet, if you cross one major uh, roadway, you're in one region to the other, so people do understand that. And then when we see the, the provincial case numbers go up, who do they blame? They're not blaming Trudeau, obviously, because the poll numbers bear that out. They're yeah. blaming the people who are more immediate to them, which is their respective provincial premier. And that's exactly what you see playing out. You know, and some of the other frustration is, is that, you know, when these vaccines came in during Easter weekend and, uh, you know, nothing was going to happen until Monday or Tuesday, I mean, even I had to give my head a shake, Scott. You know, we're in a war for all intents and purposes right now. And there should be no break for holidays. And if you're in a position... But again, and again, I'm going to interrupt you here, uh, Alyssa, yeah. because again, this is the same sort of discussion I'm having with the various people I've had. It, you know, you, you have to, if there is nothing in a fridge or a freezer, the supply chain breaks down. And I mean, you know, the best analogy I heard was it's like going grocery shopping on a Saturday. Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, you got tons of stuff in the house. And then as Thursday and Friday rolls around, the fridge is emptying and you need to go shop again. And then Saturday, it, it picks up again. So uh, we've seen Canada's Wonderland reduce its amount. We've seen these larger sites reduce what they can do because there isn't that steady supply. So, you know, it, it amazes me that everybody's talking about what comes in or what's coming in in the future, but we never seem to talk about now. Here's another headline I'm going to read to you, uh, which is on the Global News site, and this was from the weekend. It was dated as April 10th. Uh, Canada's COVID-19 case rate tops the United States as the country continues to lag in vaccinations. For the first time since the COVID-19 outbreak began, Canada's rate of new cases of the novel coronavirus has eclipsed that of the United States. And this is from numbers collected from uh, Our World in Data. Shows that as of the weekend, we're slowly starting to pass the United States in the amount of new cases, uh, new case outbreaks. So, why is that not resonating? Why am I not I seeing that story? That. I heard that this morning, Scott. I'm with you. I heard that this morning. Because the that. media is biased towards the prime minister. I'm going to say that. It's the first time I've ever said that on the airwaves in my life. I've been doing this for 36 years. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. And I'm a guy in the center. So well, why isn't this story out there? Yeah, I get I get asked this question a lot. And the question regarding, you know, headline du jour is, is this going to resonate with Canadians or will it not? Will we scandal resonate Canadians or will it not? And there's, or SNC-Lavalin, or, you know, why hasn't any of these um, so-called scandals really adversely affected the Liberals? And it's uncanny. 
So you can say it's media bias. You can say it was $600 million to that media fund well spent. You, mm. it, you know, there's, there, there could be a number of reasons why that. And it does come down to supply. But for those of us who are looking at the numbers and comparing Canada to different countries, I don't know where we were today, but I know last week we were, I don't know, insofar as vaccination dis, uh, distribution was, I don't know, 55th or 57th, which is, in a word, pitiful. And then when I heard that per capita were becoming worse than the states, that shook me. Yes. That shook me. It should. Thought, you know, we always thought, oh, thank goodness we're in Canada. We don't have this crazy rampant virus the way the U.S. isn't taking care of it. And yet here we are. It's shocking. And, you know, why this does not continue to resonate and why the liberals are really getting, quote unquote, a bit of a, a free pass here. This is, I mean, you look at those poll numbers and you know, Scott, that political parties live and die by poll numbers. They just do. And you also have to know that the Conservatives in Ontario are looking at those numbers and literally holding their hands in their heads. And they don't want to be those guys. They really don't think that Doug Ford is that guy where he wants to point fingers and say, you, 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 you. And But he may soon well do that. They may soon change their narrative. And I think it's going to be really interesting in the next couple of days because now you're in the political fight. And you're in a political fight for your life. So on a provincial level, you know, Doug's war room is at Doug, like I know him really well. Premier Ford's uh, war room is now in full throttle about what they're going to do next. In addition to handling this pandemic, they probably have another uh, group of people now looking at the narrative and the way to get it back. Whereas the liberals are sitting there sitting pretty. I mean, honestly, you saw what um, Daryl Berger and Ipsos came out with, then, you know, the likelihood is that they would get a another majority. So when you talk about a um, a war of political strategies, and unfortunately, I, I hate to say that this is what this pandemic has boiled down to for these political parties. They're the winners and we're the losers. So what happens in July when we're all waiting for our second dose? Because that's what's going to allow us to travel. That's what's going to allow us to open things up. And here we are again with the same sort of scenario. Well, that's really, really interesting, Scott. And and I will say to you that one of the things I I asked my husband uh, yesterday was, so now if you go and get your first jab, they actually automatically give you an appointment for your second vaccination. But when you, if you got it in the early days, remember when they had that early shipment in March of AstraZeneca? That's when I got mine because I fell into the age range. I was never so mm-hmm. happy to turn 60 in my life. But anyway, <laughs> but I never got a subsequent appointment. So I actually asked somebody who was in healthcare and I said, you know, what do you think I should do? And he says, you know, five to six weeks before, you know, the, the three or four months, um, call them and ask them what the deal is. Because I only, I actually don't know. Will they actually get in touch with me? Will I get some mysterious email saying, okay, yeah. you're due for your, your second job? I sure hope so, but if I'm going to leave that up to the fates, do I have to leave that up to the fates? Am I going to have to take things into my own hands? I don't know. And that part scares me, too. All right, Alyssa Freeman with us. Alyssa PR talking about everything COVID-19 related, including the headline, Canada's COVID-19 case rate tops the United States as the country continues to lag in vaccinations. This why, while the Prime Minister's popularity continues to soar. I can't figure it out either. Uh, Alyssa, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. And you too, Scott. Thanks for having me. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm pretty concerned. We know that we're not going to vaccinate our way out of this third wave. The vaccines can certainly help mitigate the severity of this third wave. We can really help target priority populations, either people at greatest risk of getting this infection or people at greatest risk of having a severe outcome from this infection. But vaccination will not help curb this third wave. We just won't be able to vaccinate fast enough, even with 100,000 or more vaccines administered per day. Dr. Isaac Bogosh from the Ontario Science Table. Um, yeah, we are where we are. And numbers, uh, again, continuing to climb. And, you know, as we were talking to experts on uh, Friday, we're probably going to see them climb a bit more before they start to come down. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Ahmad, uh, Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert. He is with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Your thoughts on where we are on week 56, and let's start with the mood of, uh, of Canadians. Uh, obviously, we're seeing across the country some demonstrations going on, saw what happened in, in Montreal and such. Uh, not, not so much from a COVID-19 perspective, we'll get to that in a second, but what about the mindset of where Canadians are now? I think the two words that come to my mind, Scott, is frustrated and anxious. I think they're frustrated. People are frustrated because they don't seem to have an understanding of when they will get vaccinated uh, and when this pandemic will be over us. And I think they're anxious because they don't know what the future holds. You know, we, all they keep hearing uh, is third wave, second wave, now potential fourth wave. So I think overall, the mood of the public is it tends to be frustrated and tense, which is explainable given the circumstances we live under and the in and out of lockdown measures that have been happening throughout the country. So obviously, uh, stay-at-home order now, uh, a week into this. Uh, many are saying, asking, when do you think or when do officials think that we will start to see this level off a bit? Well, it's expected that we will see the effects of the stay-at-home order within two weeks of, of it happening. However, I will say this. That, you know, given when we look at the previous stay-at-home orders, uh, it's, it seems like more people were willing to follow those orders than that's happening now. And the reason I say this is because we're hearing many reports of people, you know, gathering in large parks, in large numbers, indoor and outdoor gatherings. There seems to be more defiant against the, the current stay-at-home orders because, again, people are frustrated uh, and, and they just don't understand really how uh, any of those measures are going to work in getting us behind the pandemic. So obviously, uh, uh, vaccines starting to pick up more and more. Obviously, though, we're still seeing uh, uh, restrictions and, and, and lockdown and such. Uh, are we going to need to enhance those more? Are we going to need, I mean, the vaccination situation, it is what it is until we can get them uh, into the country. We can't get them into arms. But are, are we needing to restrict more things? Do we need a curfew, for example? Do we need to keep schools closed? Well, curfews are a bit tricky because the evidence shows that they are inconclusive in the way they actually prevent a wider spread. And the reason why I say that is that, you know, a curfew is saying that a certain time of the day, let's, let's just say, you know, if Ontario decides to put a curfew for 7 p.m., well, people are still interacting during the day. So I'm not sure how effective that is in actually yeah. lowering the case numbers. What is effective, though, is aggressive vaccination plans along with social distancing, face masks, and increase it. Uh, promotion and prevention of public health intervention. I think the reason why the majority of people at Scott right now are feeling a bit frustrated with all of this or not necessarily have the same bias they had at the beginning is that people are not really entirely clear when they're getting vaccinated. If I were to ask you or somebody between the age of 18 to 50, 
50, when, is ex- when are you exactly getting the vaccine? Nobody can really answer that question. Many people that we've been speaking to that I've spoken to in the past couple of days who are in, in hot spots who are eligible to get the vaccine are not able to get appointments. So the, the point I'm trying to make here is that if people knew exactly a date when they're getting vaccinated, I believe, given the evidence, that more people will more likely follow public health interventions because they have, they will have an end goal that they can aim towards. But right now, the majority, especially the 18 to 55, they don't seem to know exactly when they're getting vaccinated, which sort of gives them this hopeless idea that, you know, we just have to keep going. And so if you actually were to go outside this past weekend, you'll notice the majority of people that were out were people actually from the age of 18 to about 55. Um, and to me, that indicates that that's a high risk group that we should have been vaccinating from day one along with the elderly. So we focus so much on the seniors, which is absolutely correct because they needed the most help. But we should have also focused on the young population because we knew that after a while, they won't, they're less likely to follow the guidelines uh, because of frustration of when no clear indication of when they will be getting vaccinated. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I remember between or after the second, it was, is there going to be a third? Mm. And now, Maud, we're talking about a fourth? Yeah, so the fourth is happening. It's all going to depend on how bad the fourth wave is, uh, on how well we do on the third wave and how soon we get out of it. So, you know, the public and everybody listening to us today, you know, I'm, I'm sure I empathize with you and I feel with you this whole wave terminology that we keep using. And I was thinking a lot this morning about a different way to explain this. And I think a better way to explain it is speed bumps. So, you know, just think of us being in a car, we're going at a high speed. There are going to be speed bumps along the way that will slow us down. And the fourth wave is another speed bump. And this speed bump, though, directly is impacting the younger generation. And what I mean by that is that we're seeing a higher number of younger population uh, in ICU units at full capacity. That's going to be quite you know, scary and dangerous for the health system because that's something that we didn't anticipate. You know, the virus has been mostly affecting people of older age and people with immunocompromised conditions and status of health. However, we're seeing a shift in that now where younger populations are getting affected. And this is more likely why, uh, to my comment earlier, that I think that, you know, we should have probably been more aggressive in our vaccination of younger populations along with the older population and, and waiting on the middle age group because I think younger population speak to any 18-year-old out there or an early 20-year-old. Ask them about their frustration or the yep. likelihood of actually sticking to the rules. You have children. How many of them are actually willing to stay on course uh, for an extended period of time? No, I hear you. We're living it every day in this house with two teenagers. Um, so, you know, talk about the ICU situation because, again, you know, we've been warned about this for, for months, doctor. The modeling showed that we would end up here. Um, how critical is it right now compared to the first and second waves? According to reports from the physicians on the front lines and hospital directors, it's quite bad. The ICU capacity is at full. Uh, or near full capacity, where they had to actually alter shift uh, care units uh, and patient flow within the hospitals. Will the system be able to address those issues? I personally have faith in our Canadian healthcare system and our healthcare providers. However, that's not to say, that's, that's not to say that there is enormous amount of stress on those healthcare providers on the front lines trying to care for those patients. Emergency wait times are going to increase the next time any of us need to access the emergency healthcare services for any reason beyond COVID-19. We're going to be waiting a long time to get that service. We're not a, a private healthcare system. We are a publicly funded healthcare system. And with that comes constraints. And we need to protect this precious system that we build. And part of protecting that, Scott, 
is really, you know, doing our part. Doing our part means maintaining social distancing, wearing face masks. If you're going outside, wear a face mask. Even if you're gathering with your friends, you know, I know the limits are up to five people now. Try your best to keep wearing that face mask because it's your way of helping out the system. Are you surprised that we are where we are, doctor, in the sense that, you know, the long-term care has been vaccinated, many of them twice, and we've certainly seen the drastic decrease in in infections and, and death in long-term care. However, now, you know, even with that done, we're seeing increased uh, even more numbers in the ICU than we did uh, during the second wave. Many thought this was a disease for the older generations. It was, you know, the boomers. It was the old people that were dying so uh, obviously those icus are filling up with more and more younger people if that 75 plus generation is has been vaccinated well i'll ask you this scott what is the average age of policymakers making of decisions right now when it came to covid19 they're all above the age of younger people correct yeah and so yep. th- that makes us far removed from understanding really how young population thinks. And this is not to put blame on them. The last thing I want to do or get get across is that, you know, the young population is to be blamed for this. Absolutely not. I think that what we lack when we think about policies and how they're created is really concrete insight into how young population thinks and comprehends and understands decisions. And one thing that the young population can attest to is that they don't under- when they don't understand something, it's very hard for them to follow. And we don't do a very good job of saying that, you know, you know th- if you're an 18-year-old, 17-year-old, 20-year-old, whatever the age is, the younger population, this is exactly the date you'll get vaccinated. Stay, stay at hold. We will get you there to the finish line. You know, the majority parks this weekend, again, I will say we're, we're younger population because they get to a point where they don't understand the decisions are very far removed from their current reality. So um, I guess my question, are you surprised that the ICUs are filling up with uh, the older population vaccinated? Well, it's a switch, right? So because we, I think we vaccinated so many of the older people, uh, while the younger people were not getting vaccinated, yeah. it makes sense that the virus now is actually taking precedence with the younger population. And this is why, in retrospect, in hindsight, we probably should have had two-pronged approach, which, where we're vaccinating the younger and the, the, the very old and the very immunocompromised. This way, we can tackle this. But that's definitely a learning lesson that we, I, I assure you, many researchers are currently looking at what would have been a better approach. Was it to actually vaccinate the younger and the older immunocompromised at the same time and leaving the middle-aged group in the middle till further notice? Or was it just what we did in Canada, which is we heavily just focused on the long-term care and the elderly population and the immunocompromised people? How do you balance all of that with a limited supply, though? And I mean, well, you know, again, it was the older generations that were passing in the first wave. That was the that was the concern. It, it wasn't infecting the the younger people as much. So how do you balance that? Domestic supply and production of vaccine is how you balance yeah. that, Scott. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is, yeah. we're talking also about a G7 country. We're talking about Canada here. We're not talking about yeah. a country that doesn't have the ability to do that. This would be a very different conversation if we're speaking about a country that doesn't have the capacity to produce its own vaccine. We fell short. We simply fell short of being able to produce our own vaccine. We depended so heavily on foreign supply of it uh, and contracts and agreements that keep falling short. And so we fell in this trap where we're trying to balance that. Our counterparts in the G7 uh, have not had had that issue. We're actually right now one of the lowest countries of the G7 countries 
that are being able to roll out our vaccine. A very unfortunate scenario we're currently in, but there's hope on the horizon. I mean, the prime minister has made numerous uh, statements on Friday uh, saying that, you know, any of the Canadian still holding that promise that any Canadian that wishes to get vaccinated will get vaccinated by September. I think what we need right now, just to link that, Scott, is that what we need is our provincial government to really give dates to people. I believe that if you have a date in mind, if you know what date you're getting vaccinated, I believe that will give people that hope they need to sort of stick through till the end of the summer. So uh, obviously later on today, another news conference, the education minister that will be there as well. What are your thoughts on after spring break? Should schools remain closed? Uh, schools, I mean, again, will be the hottest topic that comes out of COVID-19 pandemic. I think schools on themselves, on their own, are not necessarily the major factor of COVID-19 transmission. However, where they are located in the community they're located, if the case number is high, schools eventually become a vector or a driver for the COVID-19 transmission. So whether they stay open or not, I think it's going to come down to the spots they are located. There there will be a a lot of political pressure to figure that out, uh, whether to keep them all like province-wide open or closed. It seems like they're they're moving towards a reluctancy of closing them. Uh, That's due to multiple pressures that they're facing correction. Dr. Ahmad Khalid with us, health policy expert. Doctor, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Same to you, Scott. Thanks for having me. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.